Let's focus our attention upon the Word of God. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It has been our privilege to, uh, to move through this book. We are in the middle of, uh, of the book, middle of the chapter, I mean. Now let's begin reading in verse 31. Verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who, were, who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word. As we prayed earlier, we thank you for our freedoms. But Lord, particularly our freedom from sin, sin that enslaved us. And Lord, we can stand before you forgiven people because of the the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that provision. And Lord, we, we thank you for, again, for the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom of our salvation, the liberation that forgiveness brings. We thank you. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together around this word. I pray that you would give clarity, give understanding. May that may we know this passage and understand this passage so that we can apply it to our lives, so that we can work it out into our lives, and so that we can obey it. You've called us to obedience. I pray that that would be the result, and then ultimately that you would be honored and glorified as, our, as a result of our time together today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's, there's many pictures of freedom. What, what comes to mind when you think of freedom? There's, there's many pictures that try to capture that, that image, that idea of, of freedom. Um, in the context of the 4th of July, I think of the, the soldiers that are, are planting the flag up on the hill, and you see that, and you see that just an emblem of, of freedom, of capturing the, uh, the land back. And sometimes it's just the flag, the image of the flag. It's uh, representing freedoms that we have. Norman Rockwell tried to uh, paint freedom and um, just in, in its different forms. I remember uh, one of the paintings that I, I really liked of his is just the freedom of worship. And, and he has the... Uh, the family walking to church and, you know, the, you have the, the father and the mother uh, side by side and the children walking and they're going to church and it's freedom of religion. Freedom has many different elements to it, doesn't it? Freedom of speech. It's hard to measure freedom. How, how do you measure freedom? Do you measure it with the um, uh, the 
the external um, uh, restraints that we have or the lack of external restraints that we have. For example, if you, if you do what is bad, we put you in prison. We take away your freedom. And you have external restraints, things that have to restrain you from being as free as you would be. It would put you in prison. And you would not be free. You would be imprisoned. And you get the idea. But there are certain things, sometimes it's just internal things that, uh, that also uh, imprison us and take away our freedom. I hope, in a good way, I hope your own conscience is, uh, is, a, is, is something that, that kind of pulls back, pulls you back, pulls your freedom back from just doing whatever you want to. Self-discipline. It holds us back from our freedom. And you begin to think, well, what exactly is freedom? Just doing whatever I want to do? And so we have to really rethink our idea of freedom. What is it? What is it? I can't just do whatever I want. I'm not, not built for that. I'm not God, am I? What we see um, in this passage is that, that Jesus talks about freedom. Freedom here. Being tr- free indeed. Now, let me just give you a little bit of the context here. He has just given an invitation for the people to come to him. And he says, I am the light of the world. It's not just the Jews, but, but the whole world. He is the only light that the world will ever have. And he is inviting them to come to him and follow him. And he says, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's given us that, given that invitation. And the context is at the end of this feast, this feast of lights, if you will, this feast of booths, where they celebrate in lights, with lights. But he also tells them, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. You are still, you are still enslaved to your sinfulness and you are going to die in your sinfulness. And so there were some that, that responded to his invitation. And at the end of verse 30, if you look at that, chapter 8, verse 30, and he spoke these things, uh, many came to believe in him. Many. They, they, they came. They responded. Yes, we want that light of, that light that produces life. We want to follow you. Now, Jesus opens a conversation with those. He turns his attention to those, uh, particularly the Jewish leaders, the, the Jews. And that's the way John uses uh, the term Jews in this book. Most of the time he's talking about the Jewish leaders, not just Jews as opposed to the Gentiles, the Jewish leaders. In verse 31, so Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed in him. They had responded to an invitation. They had made some kind of public decision. They, they said, yes, we're going to do that. That makes sense. And so they responded. But what we find in this passage is that uh, making a public decision is not, is not, the, is not the, the final test, is it? It's not the, the final evaluation or the final evaluation of genuine faith. Just making a public uh, uh, decision, some kind of public uh, 
coming down front, raising your hands, making something like that is not the final evidence of genuine faith. And so Jesus is dealing with that. Uh, these, these people had not really dealt with their sins yet. They, they were, it was a superficial belief. And we'll come to see that as this conversation unfolds. In fact, we would call it today easy believism. They wanted in. They didn't want any real commitment. They wanted to hang on to their control. Easy believism would say that repentance is not necessary for salvation. Or if it is uh, necessary, it's just a weak repentance. It's not really repentance of sin. It's just, well, I, I, I change the way I view Christ or some kind of shallow view of faith. And it's based upon this idea, this idea of being, having free will. Having free will. Now, I would say that freedom is the ability to do what God has created us to do. The ability to do what God has created us to do. Now, if you turn with me back to Genesis, just real quick, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man. Chapter 1 and verse 26 uh, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. That's important. According to our likeness. And let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, God needed someone to take care of his creation, his world, his earth. And he made man to be able to do that. And man was designed in such a way to be able to accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. Now, it was also, they were, they were made moral agents to give an account to God. They were working for God. They were His managers of this, of this earth. And, uh, and so they, they were designed to give an account to God. There was a, a conscience there, I believe, and, and uh, there was the ability to communicate with God, all designed to have a relationship with God, and all functioned to, uh, to do what God had called them to do, to accomplish what God had compli- uh, wanted them to accomplish. We're designed in a certain way. We're created in a certain way. And, and, it, and that's the picture of freedom. The Garden of Eden. In fact, we, we kind of see this in the end of chapter 2. It says, And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. That was freedom. They were there to do what God had called them to do. and They were working. They had a relationship with God. They had a relationship with one another. And that was great. That was freedom. But we know that sin came along. Sin came along. And sin enslaved mankind. And if you will, sin caused mankind to do things that he really wasn't designed to do. And in that sense, man is a slave to sin. He's driven by desires, lusts that are in him to do things that he wasn't really designed to do. wasn't really created to do. He was created to be obedient to God. He was created to, to give glory to God. What man produced, what man did on this earth, ultimately gave glory to, be God, to God because God created them to be that way. But sin distorted all of that. Sin enslaved them. 
their very nature. Enslaved, uh, and, and sin had their, uh, its effect on their daily life. Sin had its effect upon their very nature. Sin had its effect upon their spiritual understanding. And you see those three categories in Scripture. In fact, in this passage, you'll see those three categories if you look closely. Now, here's what I want you to see, and here's the point. A Christian's, a Christian's perseverance in Christ's teaching is a mark of genuine salvation, genuine faith, genuine believing, and facilitates, facilitates freedom that, or freedom from the enslavement of sin. Let me read it one more time. A Christian's perseverance in Christ's teaching is a mark of genuine salvation and facilitates freedom from the enslavement of sin. A fundamental mark of a genuine believer, of genuine disciple of Christ, is that he continues to submit them himself, herself, to the teaching of God's Word or teachings of Christ, disciple of Christ, you understand that, and that in turn sets them free. Sets them free. Sin is a slave master that controls our daily lives. It controls, it has an effect upon our very nature. And it blinds us spiritually. In fact, it's so blinding that these people didn't even recognize Christ when he came to earth. They didn't even recognize God. In fact, in that way, it's used as a tool of Satan to control man. And Satan is... Satan is the one that's in control of this earth, the Bible says. And here's the question I want us to kind of look at today. What effect does sin have on our free will? It seems that we're free. I mean, we have a moral, we're a moral agent. We seem to be able to do whatever we want to do. Are we genuinely free? Well, Christ gives us the answer right here. It's very clear. And he, he states it in this passage And this passage actually revolves around that one major principle. That one major principle that that man is enslaved to sin and that Jesus Christ is the only one that can free them. Jesus, His teaching, His truth, that's the only freedom that man will ever have or they will continue to be enslaved in sin. And they are case in point... Case in point that man is enslaved in sin. And you'll see that. In fact, by the very end, these same people that, that professed faith in him, that, that walked the aisle, that raised their hand, that said, oh, we believe. Look at verse 58 or 59. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself hid himself and went out from the temple. One conversation. It starts here with this one principle. By the end of the conversation, they're ready to, they're ready to kill him. And it's, and it's a, a demonstration of their sinful condition. The very fact that they are enslaved by sin. By sin. Now there's, there's some principles. There's a... Let's look at this passage and we'll, we'll break this passage down into three little segments. We'll look at the, the principle stated, and this is a spiritual truth that uh, Christ presents to them. But then we see the principle rejected and then we see the principle, the principle confirmed. Now, let's look at the, the principle here. Let me begin, let me read again. In verse 31, this is a spiritual truth that Jesus is sharing with them. These people that 
are now supposedly believing in him, here's what he says to them. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, there's several words here that needs to come to mind. There's several words that, that need to describe this. This, this is very complex. This is, this is uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a mouthful here. The first word is authentication. Authentication. These people, uh, Jesus is, is distinguishing them to, to make sure they are real Christians or they are not real Christians. They had to be authenticated. Is this real in your life? And there's a, there's a, it's a conditional statement. If, then. You can see the logic there. If this, then this. If, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And it authenticates. If you are a real disciple of mine, you're going to continue in my word. It's authentication. Now, conversely, the opposite is true. If you don't continue in my word, if you fall away, then you are not my disciples, you will not know the truth, and you will not be set free. Do you see that? It's just logic. It's authentication. When you go to the DMV, you have to present your birth certificate. At some point, at least I did. Maybe you don't have to. I think they just pick on me sometimes. (laughs) But that birth certificate says, yes, this is the true Carl Dingus. Like everybody in the world wants to be Carl Dingus or something. But this birth certificate, it, it authenticates who I am. So you understand that. It's authentication. That's what Jesus is. The emphasis is there. But there's another word here. Continuation. Continuation. Jesus says, this is, you, you have to continue in my word. Continue. That, that means to take up residence, to abide, to live. Um, it's a lifelong pursuit, you could say. Uh, to remain. It's, it's perseverance. Um, like I said, it's a lifelong pursuit. Five years from now, ten years from now, if I say, hey, you know, um, I, I don't like this living in this word. I, I don't like following Christ anymore. I'm just going to walk away. That's a, that shows this principle is true. That you were never really one of his true disciples. So it's continuation let me let me point this out. Continuation is very interesting. You have um, uh, in John chapter uh, six, uh, you have some of Jesus's disciples leaving, and in verse sixty-eight, uh, Jesus turns to the rest of his disciples and says, um, uh, "Are you guys going to leave too?" And, and and yeah, I mean, it seems like everybody's going to leave. You want to leave too? And here's the right answer. Here's what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We are, we are connected there. We are, we are drawn to that. You have the words to eternal life. Look over at John chapter, uh, John chapter 14. Now this is, this is something that, uh, 
John chapter 14, this is a continuation. This is a pursuing. This is, you stay there. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In fact, I, I looked it up. There's about eight times in the New Testament that this one principle is clearly stated. A continuation. And it implies studying the Word. It implies um, applying the Word. And it implies obedience to the Word. But here he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, in verse, um, if you skip down to verse 21, in chapter 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one that loves me. Now, it seems like today in the Christian world, it's not the ones who keep his commandments that really love him. It's the ones who, who sing the passionate songs, the love songs to Jesus. Boy, they really love Jesus. That seems to be the way it is. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make abode, make your abode, make our abode with him. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my word, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the one, but the Father who sent me. This is just so clear. You're either in or you're out. You continue in my word, studying my word, applying my word to your life, obeying my word, keeping my commandments. You're, you're proving to be my disciples. If you don't, the opposite is true. You're not really my disciples. So it's a continuation. But there's also another element, another word that we need to remember is submission. There's submission here. It's to my word. If you go back to John 8, it says, if you continue in my word, in my teaching, in my truth. Now, there's, there's three elements to true belief, uh, genuine faith, if you would, that's knowledge. You have to have understanding, and you'll see this in the, uh, in the little outlines in the bulletin, uh, the handouts. But it's true belief or genuine faith. Uh, saving faith, there's knowledge, and that's understanding. You have to have information, right? Before you can believe, and they had this information. And there's also what's called assent. Assent. You have to agree to it. You have to affirm the facts. You have to say, yeah, you know, I agree with that. Now, I think these these people were there. They understood, man, yeah, they had some understanding. They, that sounds good. Yeah, I, I can affirm that. But there was one place that was lacking, and that's the... Trust, personal, uh, personal appropriation, putting your faith in, trusting in, submitting yourself to. It's, it's continue in my teaching, not continue in your teaching, continue in whatever you want to do. Sometimes I believe it comes down to control, isn't it? It's just a matter of control. I want my way. I want to control my life. I will not submit to him. And that's actually what winds up being the case here. They don't want to submit. They don't want to put their trust in Him. But there's another word that comes to, to mind here, and, and that's exclusive. Um, all Christians are disciples. All Christians, and I'll say that again, all Christians are disciples. 
It's not that you become a believer and then sometimes later, sometime later you become a real disciple. It's either, either or. You, you are, you are in or you are out. There's no middle ground. There's no two groups here. A believer and then, then you become a disciple. No, you become a disciple and you become a Christian. All true believers are, are disciples. And, uh, you can't really uh, separate the two. There's not two separate things. And I want you to see this. This is the way the, the Bible uses the term in, in the Old Testament. The term disciple was not just for... It was originally just for the twelve. But then it, it, it branched out to those who believed in Christ. It was to everyone. In fact, that's the way Christ uses it here. Disciples. But you see in Acts chapter 6, uh, you see in verse 1... Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, he's talking about the whole church. And in fact, down in verse 7, the word of God kept, uh, kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase. And he's referring to, in fact, that's throughout the book of Acts. They were called disciples. And so often we think of disciples as those who have taken uh, leadership training, LT. Or those who are in some kind of special discipleship program. Listen, discipleship is right here. If you are a believer, then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you need to be a learner. And that's what a disciple is. It's just a a learner of Jesus Christ. One who has submit themselves to Christ and and is following Christ. Those are all the biblical terms that we use. It's not something separate. I don't want you to see yourself as, well, I'm not spiritual enough until I become, uh, you know, then I, you know, have some kind of special discipleship training, and then I'm a disciple. No, you're a disciple now. It's either or. It's exclusive. You're either in or you're out. Let me point out another thing, and the term is motivation. Motivation. Now, Jesus is appealing here to internal motivation. He is not trying to pump them up like some kind of pep rally and to keep them in. I mean, these are some key people, Jewish leaders. And I can imagine the disciples coming to him and saying, Hey, Jesus, do you know who these people are? This looks really good for our ministry. Things are going well. They can, they can have such an influence. We can have a lot of people in this, in this uh, ministry. We can have a lot of followers if you are nice to these people. Jesus, Jesus, by the end, I mean, he is not nice. He provokes. Um, in fact, uh, spiritual lives are at stake here. He can't play around here. He's not going to soft pedal. He's not going to be sensitive to their needs and be soft to them to try to keep them in his little following no, he just tells them right up front. You, if you continue, then you'll, then you'll prove to be my disciples. But if you don't, you're not my disciples. You're, God has not really worked in your heart. And it's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the passage I just read earlier, um, with, uh, with Peter. Peter saying, Peter saying, Lord, where do we go? You have the words of life. There's something internally 
There's internal motivation there for Peter in saying, look, that's where I want to be. No matter what else every, uh, no matter what else anybody else is doing, that's where I want to be. Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Now that's internal motivation as opposed to Christ trying to do stuff to keep them, to coddle them, and to, to, to make sure they're not offended and make sure they stay, make sure they don't leave and those kinds of things. No, he has to deal straight with them. The truth is on the line. They are self-deceived. And there's lives at stake here. You know, um, that's exactly what we see in the early church. If you look back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the word is used here. They continue, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't the apostles' teaching, it was Christ's teaching. They were just teaching what Christ had taught them to, to teach. And the people were submitting themselves to Christ's teaching. Even when things got rough in the church, and it didn't take very long, in chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5, of Ananias and Sapphira, they told a lie and God struck them dead and things were not looking good. In fact, in verse 11 it says, And great fear came up over the whole church. That would have been the time that I would just leave. I'd say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I'm not going to go in there. I'm not going to be a part of that group. I mean, this is serious stuff. But there's something internally that keeps them there. It's not external motivation. It's internal motivation. Something that drives them says over uh, the church and over all of those who heard it, even people on the outside. In verse 13, but none of the rest uh, dared to associate with them. I'm not going to go and join that church. People die in there. It's a scary place. But the true believer, man, they have to hang on to the Word. They're devoted to the Word. And actually, in this case... The Lord grew the church anyway, even though there was that fear, even though there was that sober-mindedness and seriousness and and harshness sometimes. Now, let's go on. There's one other word that I have to point out, and that is Christ-centered. This principle, this truth, this reality, that the spiritual reality that Jesus is presenting to, him, to them is, is Christ-centered. Listen, sometimes people get this wrong and they just take it out of context and say, well, the truth will set you free. No, if this truth points us to Christ, it's Christ's truth. It's Christ's word. The truth and the word is just the conduit that points us to Christ. Christ is the one who ultimately sets us free. And we see that when Jesus clarifies that in verse 36. When the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. We can't just take this out of context and say, okay, well, uh, we just know the truth and the truth will set us free. That seems to be the way the the world likes that, uh, to use that passage. Um, Another thing that Jesus is pointing out here, this is is pointing to Christ. It's it's in Christ that we have the truth and it's in His Word that we have, that we even make sense of our world around us. And we have a a world that doesn't even want to recognize that there is truth. Everything is relative. Or if there is truth, it's truth that is put upon us by the culture around us. The culture determines what's truth and what is not. That's the world we live in. 
It's multiculturalism. It's, it's, uh, it's, we just have to recognize that we don't have the answers. And so we just kind of, we just kind of go with the flow. There's no such thing as truth. Christ cuts through that. No, you follow me. You, you stay in my word and you'll know the truth. There's no shortcuts. You'll know the truth. God has set his word up as that, that means by which he purifies us. That means by which he teaches us the truth. And, and we come to, to know that truth. And we, uh, and that truth just sets us free. Sometimes one, one element at a time. His word and the truth all point to Christ. This is a Christ-centered message. His, his attention, the attention was to go back to Him. You stay in my word. Now, they were not about themselves. They were not about Christ. They were not really going to follow Christ. It was a superficial belief. They were, they were there just because they were curious. They were interested. There was just whatever reason. But they had not intended to stay. Um... I used to work uh, at a consulting firm, a mine consulting firm, and, and we'd do all kinds of things for miners, and I'd find myself going into the mines quite a bit. But, you know, I never called myself a miner. I, I did this for about one year. I could not call myself a miner because uh, that term was reserved for those who, who go in every day and they cut coal, they mine coal, and they come out, and they go in again the next day. That, that term is reserved for those who are truly committed. That's a hard job. So, so we don't say, just because I've went into the mines, I've gone into the mines, that I'm, I'm a miner. No. Those who continue, those who continue in following Jesus Christ, submitting themselves to His Word, following His commands, they are truly His disciples. They are truly His disciples. We cannot use that term just loosely. John MacArthur, I like what he said, he just called them word-oriented people. Word-oriented people. They follow the words of Christ. Whatever it says, hey, if Christ said it, I'm going to follow it. That's, that's just uh, who we are. And the question has to be asked, are you continuing in His Word? Does this Word mean anything to you? Are you following that, this Word? Do you, have you experienced that true freedom that is in Christ Jesus? I would encourage you to put your faith in Him. It all points to Christ. But Jesus was giving them a spiritual reality, just a, a glimpse of what truth really is. And he, and he lets them know this. And what did they do? Part number two is that the principle denied, or you could say rejected. The principle rejected. They had understood the discipleship idea. They understood, yeah, I've got to follow this guy and kind of adhere to his teaching. But boy, they, they had a clarification question. Here's what they say in verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say? And there's the clarifying question. How is it that you say we, have, we will be, uh, become free? Now, they understood the, 
the following Jesus part. And, but, but yet they, they, wait a second now, this whole sin thing, this whole being free thing, that comes from Abraham and being Abraham's descendants. It's a bloodline. We all know that. And Jesus has to clarify for them. This is a statement of ignorance. It was a statement of ignorance. They did not know. They did not know the extent to which sin has affected their life. That it had affected uh, their thinking, their intellect. That they can't make decisions rightly because it's affecting their mind. They, they shouldn't and they can't trust their emotions because sin has affected their emotions. And they have to keep their emotions in check. But they didn't see that. Even their will. Oh, we have freedom. We've never been, we've never been enslaved. Now, they weren't talking about uh, political enslavement. They knew that they were enslaved to, to uh, the Egyptians and, and to the Babylonians and to Assyria and to the Persians. And ultimately, even there at that time, they were enslaved to Rome. They really had never had freedom. Very, very little had they had freedom in their, the nation's history. Uh, history. But they understood that Jesus was talking about sin. But they were saying, wait a second, I don't know about this. I don't know if I've been enslaved to sin. That's a little much, don't you think? We are Abraham's children. They didn't realize the power of sin and how entrenched in sin they were. That's a picture of of ignorance, really. Here's some verses that they should have known. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 Solomon says, for there is no one who does not sin. (laughs) There's no one who does not sin. And that sins continuously. They recognize, hey, we're sinful people. We cannot stop sinning. Job said in verse uh, chapter 14, he says, who can can, uh, bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? He's talking about sin. And he goes on to say, there's no one. We cannot produce anything good within ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves, he says. Solomon says in uh, Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? Nobody can say that. We all understand that we are enslaved to sin. Now listen, we think we know these things, but we live like we don't. They might have known some of these verses, and they should have known some of these verses, and they knew about sin, but, boy, they didn't see themselves as that bad. Slaves? Really? Jeremiah said this. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Then you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. What he's saying is, is we are so accustomed to doing evil, we really can't even do any good. We cannot change. Just like the Ethiopian can't change his color of his skins, the leper can't change his stripes. Listen, we are enslaved in our sinfulness. They should have known those verses. They were in ignorance. And I really think it was more denial. They were rationalizing. They were suppressing the truth. Any kind of glimmer of truth that Jesus might present on them, they were just kind of uh, suppressing it, kind of rationalizing it away. They were basing their theology upon some kind of pragmatic approach. Whatever they saw. Oh, we've never been enslaved to sin. It's just based upon their, their vantage point. And they, they, they develop a theology out of that. And let me tell you, I see that today. 
How many people say to me, you know, I know what the Bible says, but here's what I think. Here's what I see. And they come out with some kind of practical, pragmatic theology. And that's exactly what this whole thing is all about. Just they're the authority. They know best based upon their vantage point, based upon what they see. That's a dangerous theology. That is not a theology of based upon faith in the word of God. That's not continuing in Christ's word. Man's will is enslaved to sin. That's what Christ said. And that's the problem that they had. Everything else they probably could swallow. But boy, when it comes to that, I don't know about this. I don't think we're enslaved to sin. We've never really been enslaved to anyone. And Jesus clarifies it. Jesus clarifies it in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's a slave to sin. And we have the principle confirmed. Jesus says it again. You are a slave to sin. If you commit sin, which everyone does, then we are a slave to sin. There's no, there's no way around that. I mean, what's there to misunderstand about that? It's so clear. It's so true. Um, I think what we have, it, what they were doing, and, and what we were, what we do so often today is based upon base our theology upon what we see, and it seems like well we have free will, we have freedom. In fact, back in the early church, the third or fourth century, there was a man named Pelagius, and and um, he was from Britain. Now it wasn't the Britain that we would know today, and. But it was, he was a British uh, layman, and he went to Rome. And this is where the Christians were. It was, it was commanded to be Christian there. Was, everybody was doing, everybody was a Christian there. But he, he, uh, he was distressed, and he recognized the low morality of the people, the Christians in Rome, the people who professed to be Christ in Rome. And instead of questioning their salvation... He just comes up with a theology, a theology of the free will of man. And he began to preach the free will of man. And he began to preach that sin had no real effect on man's nature. Man was free to choose. He could do what he wanted to. It didn't take God working in their life. And he was labeled as a heretic right away. The church recognized, yes, this is not proper teaching. And uh, because of uh, the teaching of uh, Augustine, Augustine came along and rallied the church together and said, this is wrong, and the church recognized that. But I think that we, we base our, our theology, I think, a lot on that idea. And, and, it, and it has led to... It's led to shallow thinking that man some way is in control, that man some way is in charge of these things, and that we can just choose and we can just do whatever we, we, uh, whatever is right. It doesn't take God really working in our heart. It's a, and it's produced shallow conversions. It's produced shallow conversions. If Jesus would have just let these these people stay within his followers, they would be shallow conversions. They would be unbelievers really in, in his ministry. And he couldn't allow that to happen. And what we do today, instead of confronting this, confronting this, what we do to, 
is, is we, we try to keep them here. We, we try to make it, we try to make it so palatable, so soft, so, and we're so sensitive that we just do whatever it takes to keep people from leaving or, or get people in the front door and we make it so easy to, uh, to make a decision for Christ. Um, to keep people in and to get people in. And what it's produced in America is shallow churches. I don't believe that about Daniel's Bible Church at all. But I do think many, many churches are just so shallow based upon a theology that they see instead of a ba- based upon a theology from the Word of God. And we have to be careful about that kind of thinking. A lot of churches have a lot of different philosophies. Philosophy of ministry here is that we adhere to the Word of God and we have to be very, very careful, very careful about that. And what we find is that these people rejected this whole notion that they were enslaved to sin. And Jesus has to confront them even even harsher, even, even more solid. And he says, no, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And he confirms, he reiterates this principle over again. And he does it with, with a warning and then there's a blessing there. But he uses very strong language. He says, slave this time. He commits as a slave to sin. It's very clear. And he doesn't use the word servant. That we just serve sin every once in a while. No, we're slaves to it. Intellectually, it's affected us. It, it has control of us. Emotionally, it controls us our, based upon our desires. Even our will is under its control. And there's a warning here. He just, he just cuts it off very quickly, very clearly here. Verse 20, 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house. Now, he's talking about... He's using slavery in a little bit different term. The slave there being, he's, he's going back to what they said about being descendants of Abraham. And this, and this whole religious system that they had set up within the family of God and uh, the household of God. And he's just making a point. The slave doesn't always stay in the house. <laughs> the slave can be dismissed very easily. But he says, the son stays. I am here to stay. Jesus is declaring who he is, his, his deity right here. I am, I am the most important one in God's household. And then he says this, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Wow. What a statement. There's a couple of elements there. There's, there's that warning, there's that warning to, to them. But there's also this, this blessing, this promise. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. There's an instantaneous part to that, isn't there? There's a part to that that's just the Son comes in and declares us to be free. He forgives us and we're free from our sins. But there's another part. There's a part that's progressive. If you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and then you'll be set free. There's this progression. As we see the Word of God, and as we listen and hear to the Word of God, it it sets us free from this daily, practical, living a life enslaved to sin. And it's true freedom that he's talking about here. 
I want you to turn over to the passage that was read for us earlier, just real quick. Romans chapter 6, and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. God had to work in our heart. We become obedient to the heart that from that form of teaching to which you were committed. You see the same kind of language. You see the same concepts here. Having been freed from sin, that was Christ. He announced that, yes, you are forgiven. You are freed from your sins. You became slaves of righteousness. Now, what is he talking about there? He is, he is saying, you are now freed up from sin to be able to accomplish what God has designed you to accomplish. We can now do what God created us to do in the original sins, in Genesis. We are now free from that sin, just like Adam and Eve were free from the sins. And now we're free from that. And so now we can serve God with righteousness. We're slaves to righteousness because now we just do what's right. Just do what's right. That's, that's who we are. You say, well, how to do that? How do you do that on a practical level, on a day-to-day level? How do you do that? Look at chapter, oh, the same chapter, verse, uh, oh, verse 12. Well, look back at verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. Now, he's declared us dead to sin, we're, that, that, that we're freed from sin and alive to God. We're, we're now awoken spiritually and, and we're now alive to Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, that's the key. That's where it gets us. See, sin works from within. It works, <clears throat> it works on their, our inside and it controls us that way. It manipulates the way we think. It controls our very nature, our emotions to the point we, we better check our emotions. We have to check. Wait a second. I, I find myself sometimes when I watch TV rooting for the wrong guy. Uh, you, you know, you, you see this guy trying to break out of prison, and prison's just a terrible place, and he's trying to break out, and you, yeah, yeah, go, you know, you, and you think, wait a second, you're rooting for the wrong guy. Sometimes our emotions kind of fog our thinking, wait a second here. We see the effects of sin, and even, even on the will, on the will, it gets us. It works from within, in verse 13, and do not go on presenting your members of the members of your bodies to sin as instruction as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as an instruments of righteousness to God. You are now freed up, freed up to do what God wants you to do. You're now slaves of righteousness. Now, this is a hard concept to to get across. Um, sometimes I use tools. I'll, I'll, I'll just grab a tool and try to use it for whatever, you know, misappropriation I could use it. But sometimes I'll grab a, a hammer and, and I'll need a screwdriver, but I don't have a screwdriver. I'll just grab a hammer and it has a little claw on it. And I'll say, well, I can get it and I'll try to do this. And I realize, you know, this is worthless. Well, it's not worthless. It's a hammer. 
It wasn't designed to be a screwdriver. Now, never has the hammer ever looked at me and said, Carl, you know, I'm a screwdriver. I'm not a screwdriver. I'm a hammer. And if you'd use me for the right purpose, then I would be, then I would be good. I would be, I'd be able to do what you would want me to do. That's exactly the way God has designed us in a certain way to do a certain task and sin comes along and encapsulizes us and takes us captive and now we're enslaved to Him, enslaved to sin. And the only thing that can set us free from that is Christ Himself. There is, um, when, the, when the Berlin Wall came down, if you were alive during that time, you see there's, there's still pictures in my own mind of this wall coming down. And, and, and we remember that. Russia was finally free. But, but it didn't take long that the, the Russian people, everything rushed in. I mean, the whole Western culture rushes in. And, and the Russian people were, were just inundated with this freedom. And before long, they begin to realize, wait a second, you know, there's a certain amount of security being controlled. There's a certain amount of security when, when you have a, a government that tells us what to do. And before long, they're, they're seeking that security blanket. And so often, that's what we do with sin. You're freed from this. Christ declares this. You're free now. But so often, we, we kind of run to that because that's our security. That's what we know. That's the habits of our lives. And so we kind of just kind of find ourselves going back to those things when we shouldn't. When we have true freedom right there in front of us. Sometimes we just don't realize it. But that true freedom is in Christ Jesus. It's only in Christ Jesus. We have those lusts. Those lusts that come up and, and we follow those lusts. And, and here's, here's what we do. We don't present ourselves. We don't put ourselves in the, in the place of temptation, in the place of sin. We, we just shun that. But at the same time, we, we pray to the Lord. Lord, let those desires diminish. Lord, let me find security in you and not this sin that I used to participate in. Lord, please take that those desires from me, this lust from me, this, uh, this worry from me, this anxiety from me. And we, and we run to the Lord instead of running back to just our old sinful nature, our old sinful habits that we're so used to. We become so addicted to. Man is free from the enslavement of sin through only one means, and that is the power of Jesus Christ. Man is created a moral agent. He appears to be free because God, God created him to give an account to himself. And, and it's all good on the far side of the garden. And it appears, though, that we have this freedom. But in reality, who's calling the shots? Sin. We are enslaved to sin. Now, you are, are you going to argue with Christ? This is what Christ said. And because we're enslaved to sin, we're also enslaved to Satan. That's the way he pulls the strings. We're enslaved. The only way out is Christ. And Christ says, the warning, if you die in your sins, or if you do not believe in me, if you do not come to me, you will die in your sins. 
That's a powerful message. Strong and harsh. But it's a good dose of reality. Sometimes we need that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for exposing us to this truth that we would just be blind to if it wasn't from your, for your, from your word. And, and Lord, to some, even today, even now in here, that we, we may, they may say, you know, I, I'm not really enslaved to sin. I can control it. Lord, I pray for all of us that you take those desires away from us and not let us be drawn into our sinfulness, using it as a security blanket in place of Christ. Lord, help us to realize our freedoms. Help us to to yield ourselves to righteousness now that we're enslaved to you and that you are calling the shots. Lord, we thank you for your work in our hearts and we recognize it. It is only by your grace, Lord, that we would be able to respond at all to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.